Hello and welcome to episode 114 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Jason Collette. Jason is a writer at Rotowire and ESPN Sweet Spot Network. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Jason Collette. Jason, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me back. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. You joined me last year around this time for a fantasy baseball preview. We're going to do the same thing today. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask you, how'd you do last year? How'd you make out in your leagues? Uh, no championships, uh, but uh, finished in the top half in most of them. Had a couple where I was a little uh, sluggish, but uh, this will be the year, 2019. I said it last year. I did better overall, but it still bugs me. I don't I don't have a, uh, especially on the national level, I've got some local titles, but obviously that, that national uh, title in labor or tout uh, or NFBC has evaded me, and I'm not comfortable with that. What mistakes did you make last year? I remember last year, I think we gave people some uh, some good sleepers and some good guys to target. We also told people to avoid Jose Ramirez, that he wasn't worth a fourth-round pick. So sorry, everyone. <laughs> but what what went wrong last year? Uh, well, probably that. Probably not taking Jose Ramirez. Uh, now, really, what, what it came down to is... Uh, uh, some in, just a little bit of everything. Some injuries, obviously, but you you know that happens when you take on some of those guys like that. Uh, yeah, I had some issues with uh, some pitchers that I projected to do better than they did, uh, which offset some of the gains of some of the guys that actually outperformed the projections. So uh, I'll make a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I can't finger point one single thing that was a detriment to all of my teams. Uh, um, as a, a Raviel Devers, maybe I just bought into him too much. I'm, I'm willing to get back in this year, but I was uh, well, I think I had four shares of him and they failed me in all four leagues. Before we go to each position, let's just talk about a couple guys who are already making news this spring. Clayton Kershaw is having some shoulder trouble. He's still getting drafted high. What do you make of Kershaw this year? He's honestly someone I'm just going to avoid. Yeah, I know. I'm doing two different slow drafts right now. Uh, one with the uh, the great fantasy baseball invitation, on the other one um, on a fan tracks. And Kershaw's sitting out there in both of them. And we are in the we're now in the 70s, uh, close to 80, and he's still sitting out there. And he just keeps dropping. It, we've had the problem the last couple of years, whether it's been a back, whether it's been something. Uh, and here we are, right at the gate. Uh, and at some point, somebody's going to have in one of those drafts is going to look at it and say, okay, this is a bargain. I've got to do it. Uh, but it's not going to be me. And if, if I lose a league because of that, that's fine. But there's there's so much pitching out there right now. I know I was talking in my uh, the uh, NFBC Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational of the first 50 picks, 17 were pitchers. People are clearly going after pitchers, but we're already 17. Now we're like 25 starting pitchers into the draft, and Clayton Kershaw is still sitting out there. So who are the pitchers that went recently that are going ahead of him? Uh, let's see, Zach Wheeler, uh, because I took him. Mike Clevenger, because I took him. Uh, you know, we've had uh, Jack Flaherty's gone up there. So, I mean, those are the types of guys. The guys that are normally solid twos are going ahead of Kershaw right now. Another guy I want to ask you about is a guy who made a was a huge sensation last year, made all kinds of history. Shohei Otani this year coming off Tommy John surgery will not pitch, will exclusively hit. Uh, his manager Brad Osmus said he will likely be back at some point in May. What do you do with Otani the batter? I don't take him where he's at. I mean, we're, we're talking about a guy that had uh, the layoff. Obviously, his. He played as long as he could last year, but then had surgery. Now he's coming back, but his offseason has been disrupted. 
And we don't know how that's going to impact because he's never had that kind of disruption before. So we, we honestly don't know what's going to happen. And that's my concern. I still see him being drafted. I mean, last year he was like, really people were taking the chances on him in the eighth round. Uh, but I, I still see him going pretty decently right now. And that's just not something I want to get involved with, uh, especially for a guy that we know is going to miss at a minimum six weeks of the season. The next guy before we get into position by position is Vlad Guerrero Jr. He's ranked in the top 50 on most uh, top 300 rankings. We saw the impact that Soto and Acuna made last year, even having their service times delayed a little bit. Vlad Guerrero is obviously going to be in a similar position there. They're going to hold him until late April. Where are you taking him and what do you expect from him this season? So I have picked on the on the on the wheel in two different 15 team drafts. And I have taken him both times there at the 3.15 uh, or 4.1. It's I've been joking around that I drafted him a 4.1 to, uh, to curb his future cost, but that's where, that's where we've been. Uh, that's where I've taken him in two different leagues. I tried to get him in another league and he went two picks before me because I think somebody saw me sitting there on 15 and was like, yeah, no, you're not going to get him this time. Uh, but I've been taking him. I mean, I, I'm hoping he gets the Chris Bryant treatment and it's like 11 days and then he's up because it's a very special bat. And uh, we as baseball fans, forget the fantasy baseball. I mean, we as baseball fans just want to see this guy come up and absolutely rake. All we saw and heard about last year is what he did in the minor league level. And it would be a shame if we We've got to sit around and wait because uh, of, of some finances. Just pay the kid. I mean, we saw the Rockies pay Nolan Arenado today, and we saw the, the Cardinals pay Miles Bikolas. I mean, just there's tons of cash in Major League Baseball. Give it to the players where it belongs. Well, absolutely. And the service time manipulation is awful. It's awful for the game, but it is coming here. We're going to see it with a couple of notable prospects. Eloy Jimenez is going to get that. Forrest Whitley, Fernando Tatis. We're going to see a bunch of these top guys coming up in late April, early May. I don't think they're going to bring Vlad up within the first two weeks. I think they will wait until the end of April. I think they have a home series, which they'll no doubt bring him up at home at first. Home series versus Oakland, end of the month. I think that's April 26th. That's my prediction is to when Vlad arrives and he's not going back down once he's here. I still like him in limited time. I think he's going to hit over 300 with 25 homers, 75 RBI. That's big-time production for a guy, especially in his age 20 season. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, like I said, when you when you hear about veterans stopping what they're doing in spring training to watch this kid take batting practice, you know it's something special. Everybody wants to see what he's doing. When you go to the park, it's a different sound when he's hitting, and we don't we don't get to hear that kind of sound that often. And I'm super excited, obviously, and the fact that I'm taking him in the fourth round, uh, I'm willing to take that chance because that's the kind of impact he could have this year at that age. Let's go around each position. Catchers are a mess as usual. It is the weakest position by a mile. What's your strategy with the position as a whole? Do you think it's worth going after someone like Rumuto or Grandel, or are you just waiting and taking someone uh, maybe the 10 through 15 range, somebody ranked in that range? Because honestly, no one is particularly that great in this group. Right. I mean, so I, I've done a few drafts, and, and there's clearly... I mean, we clearly have a, a, a tier of things uh, sitting there. We've got the two at the top. We've got we've got Sanchez and we've got Real Muto, and, and their ADP is right in the 50s. And I'm looking at 27 different online drafts uh, from NFBC, and they're right there. And then you have the next bunching. You've got Perez and Grandal and Ramos and Posey, Molina and Contreras. And of that group, I mean, I'd like Grandal. I don't think there's any gain from him going from Dodger Stadium to Milwaukee because Dodger Stadium really played up last year as an offensive uh, environment. So there's not this big jump, but I really like Wilson Ramos with the Mets because he's going to have, once Jed Lowry's healthy, he's going to have OBP guys in front of him like 
Brandon Nimmo, who gets on base a lot. Lowry with a high OBP. Cano with a high OBP. And he's going to have Conforto hitting behind him. He's very well insulated in that lineup. And I think Ramos could have a monster year if he could stay on the field. Now, saying that about a Met is problematic because we know Mets can't stay on the field. <laughs> but I really like Ramos out of that tier. And Buster Posey's the one I've been I've been fading and I don't want parts of because when you step into the next the next tier of catchers there, I really like Danny Jansen with Toronto. And I also I also like Robinson Chirinos in Houston with his heavy fly ball pull style hitting is a nice fit for that park. Obviously, you want to take a flyer on Williams as to Dio. Um, I do like Jorge Alfaro was showing signs of turning it around, hitting plate last year. And I've been taking shares of uh, Elias Diaz and Omar Narvaez late in drafts as my second catcher. But that's it. Like, I don't want to go outside. I don't, I'm not one of those guys that goes dollar dollar on my catchers because they're so bad this year. There's an advantage to be had if you take something better than what your other league mates are doing. Don't I, I don't want to get stuck with a with the Tyler Flowers and and Matt Weeders who just signed a minor league deal today. First base is normally a very top heavy position. It's usually a deep position, but I find it to be shallower this year than it has been in years past. While the top is still elite, uh, I find it drops off very fast. Your thoughts on the position as a whole? Further down on the list is a guy that used to be elite is Miguel Cabrera. Your thoughts on what to do with him this year as well? Yeah, I agree with your overall assessment of the position. It's one of the reasons why in, in those leagues where I've talked about taking him on the, uh, picking on the wheel that I've been taking Goldschmidt with the 16th overall pick. Uh, I've done that a few times because uh, I, I want to get in early on this position. Uh, you know, I think that with with Cabrera, I'm just I know his ADP is sitting somewhere in the one in the 160s right now. But even if I and but if I look down below him. I don't. I'm not terribly excited about anybody behind them, save Tyler White. I mean, Tyler White's sitting down there at 252. That's to me, that's free money. I, I, I want to take a shot at Tyler. If I can get Tyler White anytime after pick 200, I'm jumping. Um, I think that 252, we're going to see that come up because right now his high has been 196. But I'd like the upside uh, in that bat. Whereas I don't, Miguel Cabrera. There's not going to be upside. That said, he's going to fall into 85 runs driven in just by hitting in that lineup. Um, but when you look in between those guys, you've got Eric Hosmer who can't hit the ball off the ground. You've got Luke Voigt, who doesn't have the track record. I mean, hit the snot out of the baseball last year, but it was limited time late in the season with diluted pitching in the American League with expanded rosters. Um, you got Carlos Santana hoping to bounce back. Gurriel, who can't stay healthy. Smoke, who still makes good contact. Um, the guy that I like really liked last year, who I don't like this year, is Jose Martinez, just because where is he going to play in that lineup with Goldschmidt coming in? Uh, and that outfield full as it already is, I don't see where Jose Martinez has a clear path to 500 plate appearances, which is disappointing because he hit the ball very well last year. He just needs to be traded to the American League so he can play DH full-time. At the top of the rankings, obviously, you have Goldschmidt and Freeman. Joey Votto was there for a long time as well, but his power really dropped off last year. Do you think that's gone for good, or do you think we see something closer to 2017 Votto this year? I think we can get some back because he didn't really have a great supporting cast around him. Uh, obviously, getting Puig there, uh, getting Kemp there, he's, he's got some more help in the lineup. And so he just can't be purely pitched around as he was uh, as he was last year. Once he came up, because we know that Votto's not going to swing at a ball two inches off the plate. And that's where pitchers decided they were just going to pitch him. Uh, so I think we have a little bit of a bounce back uh, for him. But at, at the age, it's hard to project more uh, a, a big spike in power, maybe a small bump up. 
guy I like deep at first base is Peter Alonso. He's going into the 200s, too. He should get some regular playing time from May forward. Uh, it's a crowded infield. The Lowry signing kind of complicates things a little bit, but I do expect him to get some playing time. He's already hitting the ball a ton in spring training, which doesn't mean much, but given his age and his bat in the minors, I do expect him to be an impact player this year right away. He could be. The problem is he can't play defense at all. I mean, he is a statue over there with it, with an iron skillet for a glove. Uh, if anything, that's what he needs to. When they say he's got to go down and work on defense, they're not lying about him. They're not trying to stall a clock. They are truly setting him down to work on defense. So that's really that's what he's going to have to play. I mean, first base is not a high demand on defense but you've got to be you've got to be more than a statue you've got to be able to take a couple of steps in every direction uh and be able to scoop it so there's some work to be done there but uh, i think the bat's ready i just don't know if the overall player is ready second base Baez has second base eligibility to me he's a guy of all the first round and second round guys he's one of the guys i flag as a guy that could regress I'm not a Baez supporter, at least in terms of him being a first or second round pick. Some people are taking him over Altuve, and I find that to be crazy. Your thoughts on Baez and then your, your thoughts on the position in general. So I was really down on Baez last year. I said there's a lot of risk into him. I, I was extremely concerned, avoided him at all costs. Uh, if we want to get back to reasons why I didn't win a league, bypassing Baez uh, would, have, would have been one of those because he was out there at a decent price. This year, there's no decent price. I mean, he's gone as high as 10 in the online drafts. Uh, he, ha- I think he went eighth overall in the mixed labor draft. So, you know, people are paying the price for him this year. I think, obviously, the multi-position eligibility helps and the, the overall the overall athleticism. People are willing to assume the risk. I think, overall, the position itself is not terribly deep. I mean, we get down to – I can't even – we get to, like, 10. And then after 10, I'm, I'm in the risky boat. By ADP, they've got D. Gordon uh, two rounds ahead of Robinson Cano, which I think is expecting a lot. I mean, D. Gordon's going to be hitting ninth in the lineup uh, as long as Malik Smith is healthy and hitting at the top. And so he's going to be losing the plate appearances that he should just automatically get. Uh, and I think, you know, I already mentioned about Cano having Nimmo and Lowry in front of him and, and Ramos behind him is also very well insulated there and could be in for a big year there. And I've, I've been picking up lots of shares of Robinson Cano at 134. I'll take that over the 106 at Gordon. I mean, Travis Shaw at 104, I think, is accurately priced and, and be and, uh Jeanette is at 100. I mean, I don't have a problem with where the top nine are going, but after that, I start looking at looking for question marks because the position really starts getting shallow after that. Yeah, I actually had Cano listed as my sleeper, which is weird, but to ha- get him in the early 100s, to me, that's a steal. Paul and I took him in labor, uh, I think, in the eighth round with the 15th overall pick, so we keep grabbing him. He's sitting out there, and we keep grabbing shares. Who took Baez eight overall in labor? Uh, I think that was Andrea Lamont. I believe. I mean, who knows? Maybe he'll go 30-30 and have 100 RBI and 100 runs. Who knows? It could blow up in our faces like Jose Ramirez did last year, but that is a stretch if you're asking me, which no one did. Uh, Third base, (laughs) uh, Manny Machado, he's got shortstop eligibility as well. Signed with the Padres. Do you think playing in that park will affect him greatly? I think it does impact him. I mean, that's not the the best place for uh, for a hitter. It's gonna when you get the the marine layer in San Diego definitely impacts some things. So I, I would knock him down a, a few notches only because Baltimore was such a great place for him. Now Manny hits he hits the ball to center as hard as he hits at the left. 
uh, doesn't go the opposite way. But Camden Yards is such an ideal thing for a right-handed hitter, and and he's going to walk away from that, and that's tough. Uh, so that's where I'm. I'm not crazy about him. I didn't think he was a first-rounder. I don't think the trade makes him a first-rounder either. Another guy who I think is a bargain in third base is Josh Donaldson. Josh Donaldson's going in the 80s or 90s. When he came back when he was with Cleveland, his OPS Plus was similar to where it's been. He has the potential to still be a superstar player, and to get him that late I think is a steal. He really does. I mean, I I have been long been a Josh Donaldson fan since he was a uh, you know back in his prospect days when he was a catcher. I uh, you know he was a catcher coming up in the Cubs organization. Then he got traded over to Oakland, and I've been a Donaldson uh, guy forever. And it's always cost me to be able to roster one of the guys I really enjoy watching play the game of baseball and hit. And now he's coming at a price where I don't have to go reaching for him. His ADP is ninety seven right now. He's going behind Miguel Andujar. I mean, Andujar could be we could have a sophomore slump. Uh, we don't know of it. I mean, we talk about defense. Andujar just can't play it, uh, and it's not a, it's not a good situation there. But you can't take that bat out of the lineup either. Uh, but Donaldson there as the 11th best third baseman is is a nice price because the you know, third base has got some depth to it. Really, you get down to like 18. You're, you're at Devers, who I said I, I would buy back in on the right price this year. 19 Mustakas with that second base eligibility that gets nice. Then, then it starts to get shallow. The third base has got a lot of depth to it this year. Shortstops this year. How much should Lindor drop because of his injury? You know, he hasn't dropped that much. Uh, when, I've, when I've seen, uh, he went, I think he went 13th in labor because Paul and I were picking 15th and we, we actually talked through it. We're like, hey, do we, you know, do we take him if he falls to us? And he never, he never made it to us. Uh, and so... I, I, his ADP is he's still in, firmly sitting in the first round in most drafts um, and yeah, he's going to miss a couple of weeks you hope that's all he's going to miss but I haven't seen as much impact as I thought we would when they said seven to nine weeks you know that puts you in towards the uh, towards the back half of April and that's that's a DL stint right out of the gate uh, and so if you're taking him in the top 10 picks he's got to really excel at that top level but you know I think a shortstop when you look through it when you look at the top twelve, I don't, I don't think honestly he's not the one I'm most concerned about. Uh, you know, there's two guys that I'm really concerned about at shortstop in the top twelve. One of them I've written heavily about, which is Mondesi. Uh, I, I'm concerned he's going to be another Tim Anderson this year, rather than the Alfonso Soriano people think he's going to be. Uh, when you look at the uh, the the plate discipline profile, I, I always like looking at guys' skills and not just the strikeout and the walk rate, but I'm looking at. Uh, the chase rate, how often they're expanding their zone, and you look and you profile it out, and like in the best case scenario, he he becomes what Soriano was. You go to Fangraphs, and you can look back to like I think 2002 is the first year they started tracking that data, uh, and Mondesi, if he, if he performs where I see the projections putting him at. That's Soriano again. And so if you're going to take him in the top 40, because his ADP is 40 right now, he's gone as high as 28, and that's what you're projecting. But for me, I see too much Tim Anderson there, and I'm, I'm not going that way. The other guy I'm concerned about is Corey Seager. I mean, he had Tommy John surgery and hip surgery last year. Uh, and so yeah, he can't hide a DH, so he's going to have to get out in the field with the Dodgers. Uh, and his offseason was disrupted by the surgery and the rehab, but we don't know where he's going to come. But yet he's being taken 85th overall. He's gone as high as 66. And we have some other guys who I think have some upside, like Ahmed Rosario sitting there and Paul DeYoung and Garrett Hampson. You know, guys like that that are sitting out there that are going 100 picks behind Seeker who didn't have two major surgeries last year. 
Mondesi, going back to him, is one of the guys who I think is the most overrated in all of the uh, all of this season. And to me, this is an example of our stolen bases ruining fantasy baseball. That a guy like Mondesi is ranked so insanely high. And I think that's a guy that could blow up on a lot of people, not in a good way. I think he, you know, the Tim Anderson comp, I think is pretty fair. He's got some speed and that speed is real. But if he can't get on base, the bad contact rates, I, I think that he is a potential big problem for a lot of people, especially where he's going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you need a you need him to perform at the, on the high end of the spectrum that you're that you're projecting for him to do that. I mean, they, what he benefits from is he plays in a division that's that's still rebuilding. I mean, the Tigers are going to be bad and have bad pitching. Minnesota is going to be better, but still has overall bad pitching. Uh, and uh, Cleveland's got all the pitching, and and those are the matchups that are going to give him a hard time. Uh, but the White Sox pitching is not that great either. So he's going to have that unbalanced schedule against a lot of inexperienced pitchers. But it's what he you know. How is he going to do when he go ahead, when he has to go face the veterans in the East and the veterans in the West? Uh, is he going to be able to not get himself out? I mean, he can make very hard contact. You can see there are times where you watch him, you're just like, wow, this kid could be special. But at the same time, when you when you compare the numbers that he put up last year, um, as far as his plate discipline against history, it just does not look good. What are your thoughts on stolen bases in fantasy right now? Just in general, we are seeing fewer and fewer stolen bases every year. Long gone are the days of Ricky Henderson and Vince Coleman and Tim Raines stealing 100 bags. Uh, stolen bases, the league leaders, the totals from the league leaders are dropping. What do we do with stolen bases in fantasy? I feel like these guys become so overvalued. You even see it with Trey Turner, who's going in the first round comfortably. Uh, Mondesi, top 50 much higher than that in some cases. I Whit Merrifield, these are good players, but they're nowhere their real life ranks are nowhere near where they're going in fantasy. How do you uh mitigate some of the impact stolen bases have in fantasy? So I, I I'm I've been on record saying I think stolen bases make a comeback this year. Now we're not gonna see anybody steal hundred uh, but at this one of the things I want to watch is in Kansas City, you know, when you have Billy Hamilton and you've got Mondesi and you've got Merrifield. So you've got three guys right there who people I you know, we've seen say like, hey, that trio is going to steal 150. Well, if that trio steals 150, then the other guys in the lineup only have to steal 50. And then we have the first team since the 2007 Mets to steal 200 bases in a season. It just hasn't been done. Uh, and we're, we're, I think we had eight, eight to 10 guys with 25 or more steals last year. But I think steals goes up this year because power is going to go down. Power went down. Uh, you know, last when we had three years, uh, 15, 15, 16, and 17, it was up. 18, it was down. And historically, that the league and steals has been a, a lagging indicator. But as power has gone down, steals have gone up. And that's what I'm looking at this year is power taking another step back, but steals taking a step forward this year. Uh, and and we still have the, the, the same usual suspects hanging around there late. I mean, you want to go get Rajah Davis? You want to go get Jared Dyson? I mean, those guys are always around, and they can always pick you up 25 steals. I mean, Dyson uh, Dyson is, is 25 steals in his sleep as long as he doesn't have a major injury. I mean, last year he had a groin problem and didn't have that. But you just go, he's always available as a free agent because he doesn't do anything else but run. But in a mixed league, that still has like a $10 value to it. And he's always a free agent. Outfield actually reminds me a little bit of first base this year. It is top heavy, thins out quicker than it normally does. Who are you avoiding at the top? If anyone, who are you targeting late? I'm not paying the Christian Yelich price. I mean, I was the guy last year who said he was the MVP. uh, And I was all in on him last year. But he had such a historically awesome season. 
that I, I can't get in at the price of he's gone as high as three. He's I mean, every of the 27 drafts, somehow he made it to the 17th pick in one of them. I, I guess everybody else fell asleep or something. I don't, I don't know there, but I don't want to pay that price. And what the, that's really the one that stands out to me. I'm, I'm not any like, oh hey, I want to avoid that. If you want to, if you want to look at like, hey, wherever Bryce Harper's going to land at this point, uh, you have to figure that with all the pressure and all the spotlight on him, maybe he stumbles out of the gate a little bit uh, on that 15th pick that I've mentioned a few times. I keep ending up with shares of Aaron Judge right there. I mean, he's comfortably sitting there uh, for the taking. Uh, I've almost. Paul and I almost doubled up and took Judge and Stanton right there and tried to get all of our power at once. Uh, but that's really it. I think the one guy that I've uh, been very high on is Tommy Pham. And it's not just because I'm a Tampa Bay fan. I mean, when you look at the changes that he made at the plate last year after the trade to get more loft to the baseball, to hit the baseball harder. I mean, you look over the final six weeks of the season and waited on base average, they were there were not many guys better than Tommy Pham at the plate. Obviously, you're assuming some injury risk um, with his history, uh, but he's gone as high as 40 in the NFBC, and that wasn't me taking him. I've taken him uh, this in that labor. We took him right in front of Vlad, so we took him at 45 um, in that one. And But I took him in my great fantasy baseball invitation, he fell to 58th to me, and I was giddy. I didn't think he'd ever make it back to me, but I was – everybody should have known I was going to take him there because I have him in just about every league that he's been there for me to take in that fourth or fifth round. I've jumped on him. Uh, So, you know, he and David Dahl is another guy that I really like in the top 20. Outfielders I like late. I think Ramon Liriano with Oakland has a chance there to really have an impact season. And Ryan Braun, old guys. I like old guys as you can get on a value. I think sometimes these guys slip because they're not. Ryan Braun is no longer an elite player. But to get Mm -hmm. Ryan Braun in the 200s still seems like a steal to me. Oh, I agree. I mean, he's sitting there, and I'm glad you brought him up because when I'm looking down, the the next guy is probably my favorite guy outside of the top 50 outfielders this year is Jackie Bradley Jr. I mean, we talk about a guy that made some changes last year at the plate. Uh, He really did so uh, towards the second half, and his numbers exploded. Now, his overall numbers look bad because he was so terrible the first half of the season, Uh, but he's made some swing changes. You can see it at the plate this spring, Uh, and right now his his ADP is 209 and he's the 53rd outfielder off the board. I think he's easily a top 40 outfielder, and, and that would, by ADP, that puts him at 140. So he's, he's like 65 spots behind where I think he belongs. Um, I have been acquiring shares of Jackie Bradley Jr. as all over the place. Eloy Jimenez is coming at some point. We uh, expect it will be in late April, early May. He has been crushing the ball in AA and in AAA. How aggressive will you be with him? He's going to get the play in time. And as a, somebody who lives in Charlotte, I would like for him to stay in Charlotte a little longer so I can see a few games. <laughs> I mean, I got to see him play a couple of times last year. Uh, and he is just – he stick, he just stands out on the field because he's such a, he's such a tall human. Uh, and, uh, again, getting back to that sound of the ball off the bat, would he – if you're not paying attention to the game and he makes solid contact, you know it's him because nobody else makes that kind of sound. Uh, and so he's going to get that playing time. And I'm going to be – pretty aggressive with him i mean i don't see myself i'll take i'll take bradley jr uh, over him but i mean i'm not i'm not going to be up there paying the price i'm trying to the to see where where he was i mean he right now he's at 115 and he's the 34th outfielder i'm not going to be there i don't have him as a top 40 outfielder to finish the season just because you've got to bake in some rookie struggles there um and he's got a pretty if you've watched him at the plate he's got a pretty big 
moving swing or the high leg kick. I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening there. It doesn't take much to get out of sync a little bit, and I could see him being prone to a few slumps. See, I, I think that he is going to battle Vlad Guerrero Jr. for Rookie of the Year. I think he is going to make such an impact that we would all be talking about him as the biggest rookie to watch and would make the biggest rookie impact this season if it wasn't for Vlad Jr. I think he is going to make an immediate impact and hit all the way through once he's up. I would love to be wrong. I would love to be wrong on this one. I guess I just see so many guys uh, on the outfield. I mean, I, you said the outfielder. I think it is shallow if you are if you're aiming for the middle level of the projections. But if you're looking at probable outcomes, I think there's a lot. I mean, I, I'm scrolling and I'm like, oh, hey, there's there's Nimmo at 42. I like there's Loriano at 46. There's Austin Meadows at 48. And, and there's a lot of there's some depth. There's friend Mil Reyes, who, again, talking about amazing hard contact. There's another guy at 56, and, and so there's there's depth there. It's just when you get to the end game, when you're down there in the 60s. So if you're talking about a 12-team league with five outfielders, now you're talking about Jake Bowers. No thanks. Randall Grichuk, he closed the season well with some hard contact. Maybe that's maybe he'll bounce back to where we saw him two years ago. Mac, I, I always like Max Kepler, and if I've got a dollar left in a in a draft, I can go grab him. Uh, you know, and that's kind of where it starts thinning out. I'll give you another speed sleeper, Greg Allen, there in Cleveland. I mean, right now he's 68th overall, and his ADP is 270. But if you're looking for somebody who could steal 30 bases out of nowhere, there's a guy to look at. Starting pitchers, it's always a position where you can find some value, where guys break out, guys who, who perform at a, at a high level, who are either undrafted or picked very late. Who are some of those guys for you this year that are poised to break out this season? Um, I have been acquiring lots of Zach Wheeler shares. I mean, Zach Wheeler pitched so well down the stretch last year. Uh, really, added, he added the splitter and started pitching to the inside part of the plate with his with his velocity, and really made hitters look uncomfortable. I'm looking for Wheeler to take that big step up, much like Snell did last year. And with the way Snell did it, I mean, a lot of people were said inconsistent. He took a huge step forward last year, um, really uh, getting with better command of his pitches. And if you watched Wheeler pitch last year, you could see that coming. Uh, so. So that's one of the guys I really do like Mike Clevenger and that Cleveland staff. We saw him do some things last year. Uh, and I think there's another level to that. I and mean, he's got, he's got the guys in front of him to take the spotlight off him. But again, getting back to that terrible AL central, uh, there's a lot of opportunity for strikeouts for Clevenger. And we're talking about you know, somebody that could pile up 200 strikeouts of 15 wins of the 350 ERA, which is not that easy to do these days to get that, that trio of activity um, uh, to that capacity. And I think uh, uh, lastly, another guy that, I've been um, ending up with uh, with shares of down there. I'm, there's two. There's a lot of uh, Nick Pavetta hype, but I don't know if Eduardo Rodriguez is getting a, a, the hype that he deserves. Those guys are very close in ADP, which is surprising to me because I think Rodriguez is on the cusp of something special this year. Yeah, I also I like Rodriguez. I also like Josh James. He throws 100 miles an hour with the Astros. I think he can make, get a spot in the rotation this year. He's one of those guys, even if he's not in the rotation and they use him as like a super reliever, he's one of those guys that could get 85 innings and 110 Ks out of the bullpen. Mm -hmm. I think he has value as either a starter or a reliever. I agree. I agree. Some of the guys that broke out last year, two guys that that come to mind were good pitchers who became great, Trevor Bauer and Patrick Corbin. Do you think those guys can remain at the top of the pitching class? 
Uh, I'd like Bauer more than uh, Corbin because, uh, again, Bauer still has the AL Central. Corbin's moving over to a, a tougher division, and when you you know when you make the move over to a new team, you got the adjustments. But I I mean Bauer is just such a, a a tinkerer in working with his pitches and the way he's been able to to get his pitches to tunnel off one another, and he could throw four or five of them. Uh, he's he's a special talent. I mean, I I firmly believe had he not gotten hurt last year, he would have won the Cy Young. It's just that's what derailed him. I know he said it and took some heat for it, but he was pitching like a Cyan guy last year until he got hurt, uh, and that's really where it came down. But I think, you know, conversely, something I also like to mention is, you know, some of the guys I would strongly suggest going back in on some guys who were abnormally bad last year. You know, one of those guys that comes to mind is Jose Quintana. We we all took him last year for the consistency because he's always been there, and then last year he just bombed out, and, and you really look at what killed him was that times through the order penalty. He got blasted the third time through the lineup and Joe Madden left him in there because that Cubs bullpen was not in good shape and he just oh let me try to get more and then he just give up run after run and then reliever would come in and add two more runs to his ERA so I, I'm back in on Quintana this year because he's he's everybody's out on him because of the price he's in the 200s I mean last year he was like 100 125 and he's down to the outside the 200 right now um, as the 79th overall pitcher and I'm I'm all in on that price with him yeah, he's a guy I had avoided his whole career in fantasy, and then last year was the year I'm like, you know what, he's actually good, I need to get over this, and I took him in every league, <laughs> and it blew up right on me. So I, I will be avoiding Quintana for as long as possible. I'm curious what you do with Madison Bumgarner this year, former Avoid Aces. him. Yeah, two, two bad years right there, right in a row. And he's still going high. You're not getting that discount, that Quintana discount with Bumgarner. Another guy is Noah Syndergaard, and Syndergaard was good last year. He pitched a 150 innings, but he wasn't elite. He's still a guy that people make contact off of, and his strikeouts for a guy that throws 100 miles an hour, he doesn't strike out as many people as you think he would. For me, he's going too high. Yeah, he's gone as high as 25. I'll tell you that had he been there uh, when Paul and I were picking, I mean, that was, I know Paul and I were hoping he was going to slide down to the 45th picks. That's where we were looking at him. Uh, but his ADP is 40. And you know, so he went, I think, three picks in front of us in labor. Uh, but I agree. I mean, people, like I said, in my other, in my recent draft, 17 of the top 50 picks were starting pitchers. I mean, people are, are paying that price. Uh, and maybe that's why they're doing Bumgarner, who I, I don't want. I mean, give me Joey Lucchese back there. I mean, Joey, he's adding a cutter this year that really helped him against righties because that was a pain point for him last year. I mean, 22 of his 23 home runs last year came against righties. I mean, he was death against lefties, but because he pitched away from righties for the most part and didn't come into their kitchen, he had nothing to keep them honest. But now with that cutter, he can he can front door that cutter, back door that cutter, gives him three pitches to righties, and he can just get average against righties and maintain that nastiness against lefties. I think Luke Casey takes a nice step forward this year. And you know, his ADP is 212, and he's the 85th pitcher off the board. That's free. That's free money, as they like to say. Yeah, I like Forrest Whitley a lot, too. He's not going to be up right away, but I think he's going to be very good once he's up. There are some old guys hanging around there, too, that I think can be real bargains. John Lester, uh, Tanaka, Cole Hamels. I think all of those guys are old guys coming off down years. You always have to worry, well, are they just done? In those cases, I don't think any of them are done. And I think Hamels being full-time in the NL will be a big help. Mm-hmm. Well, this is why you also draft a bench and be ready to stream some guys in. If you're if you're going to take your chance on some of the older guys, uh, if if you get worried, you flip them to your bench. You bring somebody else up and, and let things get settled out, uh, settled down there. Uh, but yeah, that's why I always like to take. If I have a seven man re- reserve bench, I'm going to take three pitchers and four hitters. 
Any closers in waiting? Any guys that are not currently listed as the closer for their team that you expect to become the closer by the end of April? Uh, so much turnover. I think what we have like last year, three guys, five guys that had 30 or more saves. There's so much turnover there. Uh, you know, I haven't, I think I'm trying to think who I've drafted, uh, in that capacity. I really been right now. It's so early. We've been taking advantage of, of guys that don't have that where there's unsettled jobs like Minnesota. I really like Trevor May there and nobody's been named the closer there, but I think that's Trevor May's job. I think right now, another one in Boston would be Ryan Brazier uh, over Matt Barnes. I think Brazier's got the better stuff uh, overall as the, uh, as the closer. And I think Barnes probably has more value as that seventh, eighth and that multi inning guy there. Uh, and that's how I've been hedging my bets is taking him uh, in that capacity. Uh, I think uh, I'm just, Right, Blake Parker, but again, it gets back to the the, the Trevor May situation, who I really like. Uh, I think Josh Hader obviously has to be at the top of that list uh, if there's anything that happens to Corey Knebel. Um, but we'll see how it plays out. Uh, Ty Buttry is another guy in, in the Angels that I took in another league uh, as my final reserve pick because getting back to that model where I take, if I've got seven guys, I'm going to take four pitchers and three hitters. I'm sorry, four hitters and three pitchers, two starting pitchers and a reliever that I, that I speculate for saves. And Buttry was the guy that I speculate on there. You've mentioned labor and tout a few times. How do those leagues work? They are expert leagues. Can people follow along with them publicly? Which site actually hosts the leagues? Do you have daily transactions with them once you draft the team? Is that it? Is there an entry fee with those leagues? How do those uh, elite leagues work? Sure. So labor is hosted by rtsports.com uh, and you could just Google search labor RT sports and there's a, there's a free, anybody can come in and see how the league's going. Uh, it's run by Steve Gardner at USA Today and there's an AL, there's an NL and there's a mixed version of it. And so you can always check the standings. Uh, those leagues have weekly transactions uh, to that. Tout uh, is, is all is a, um, like kind of a twice weekly transaction where you can make injury replacements during the season, uh, during the week rather. So uh, if you start the season, a guy gets dumped on the DL Tuesday, you can replace him. So you can use a different guy um, on a Thursday. Uh, so we've got a little more flexibility in that one. And, and there's multiple formats this year. There's a, there's a draft and hold format. Uh, there is an AL, there's an NL, there's a head to head points league. There is a, a mixed uh, and it's all hosted by onroto.com. And there's, and if you just go to toutwars.com, they have links so you can check the standings throughout the year. But pretty excited this year because there's so many new formats and, and new players uh, that have been on the waiting list trying to find a way in. Uh, and they decided to open it up. And now, now we're going to have some uh, some new faces uh, in New York City with us in a couple of weeks. And these leagues are all standard five by five. For the most part, Tout is an OBP league instead of batting average. Uh, Labor is straight uh, is a normal, uh, but Tout is an OBP league and. And it has uh, it has an entry fee, but the entry fee is to help pay for the hosting. I mean, we have it. I think this year the drafts at the Stewart Hotel in Midtown, uh, and that helps pay for you know, food and and the space because we have got to have space to draft. People want to come watch. We got to have space for people to watch. A couple of years we held it at the SiriusXM Studios, and there's only so much room for somebody to to come in. So we wanted some more space. So that's what the entry fees for is for that, and uh, people running the website and 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 promoting things. And uh, there'll be a lot of talk about it uh, the weekend of St. Patrick's Day is when the drafts are this year and so SiriusXM always does a great job of, of covering those drafts and you can hear everybody come talk about it and of course everybody will write about their draft once it's done too. What's your fantasy decree of the year? The one thing you're you're sticking your flag in the mountain on, what are you telling people this year? Your main piece of fantasy advice is what? 
don't draft Mondesi. He's not a top 100 player. That's my flag in the ground. You've been listening to Jason Collette. Read his stuff at Rotowire and ESPN. You give him a follow on Twitter at Jason Collette. Jason, this was so much fun. Thanks for your time today. Hey, thanks. I appreciate it.